everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of ARG Presents. I am Amigo Aaron, joined as always by the gangster of love and the sultan of swing, John Bodovkar Schaller. Hello, hello, hello. So, if you watched last week, you'll recall that the Retro Roulette tasked us this week to play games from the Commodore 64 computer line. Uh, a little bit about the Commodore 64 for those that live under a rock. Uh, it is the largest selling uh, budget PC of all time, if you discount the uh, recently produced uh, Raspberry Pi, which I think I read that it surpassed it, mm. but I mean, that's kind of a, and you're in an iffy area there with that. Uh, this console sold between 10 and 17 million units worldwide in its day, which is amazing. Um, so, this unit debuted in 1982. It was announced in January and it shipped in September. And at a price tag, and this surprised me, Bob, because this is known as the budget machine of its era. This released at a price of $595 US. In today's money, you're looking at $1,560. Right. Now, what's the key to that? One year later, it was cut in half, $300. Well, you know, here's something I was reading today. I was reading up on the C64. Do you know what the total cost in parts of the C64 was? I don't. $147. Really? So even at half its original price, they were still making money. Well, that was sort of Commodore's MO back in the mm -hmm. day. And one thing you'll uh, that is interesting to know is that they produced a lot of their own chips because uh, Tremel had... Uh, cajoled and did everything he could to to basically own these chip manufacturers. He went out and bought the factory, yeah. That's right, and that is a whole other story. <laughs> um, something else that kind of, I thought was kind of interesting was that, uh, according to Wiki and a few other sources I saw, there have been at least 10,000 commercial releases on the Commodore 64. That's which an that unbelievable is number. astounding yeah. amount. And yet, from that incredible number... It is our job to talk about just two. Narrow the field. And I think we picked a couple good ones this I week. I think so. I think so. So you want to lead us off this week? What do you got for yeah. us? Yeah. Uh, Aaron, this week we are going to be talking about Skate or Die. So uh, Skate or Die uh, was released in 1988 for the Commodore 64 originally, uh, but it was later ported to the Apple II GS, the ZX Spectrum, uh, the NES, DOS, the ST, and the Amstrad. Wow, I didn't realize I got that many it ports. It got a ton of ports. Uh, sadly, uh, it got no Atari 8-bit port because Electronic Arts had dropped support for the 8-bit line uh, a couple years back. You know, that's one of the things that really separates the C64 from the Atari 8-bits. That's That was kind of its uh, rival, but the C64 just simply outlasted it by years and years and years. The Atari, once they started the ST, uh, they pretty much dropped their 8-bit line completely, but Commodore, never one to lose a moneymaker, continued <laughs> pushing the C64 long after the Amiga's release. With that, with that amount of numbers that are out there, you, I can see why they would continue to support them. Yeah. And also, the Atari did release several years earlier, and so by that time, I guess they just figured it was time to move on. Right, right. Uh, this was published by Electronic Arts, and um, it was coded by uh, three guys, Michael Kosaka, Stephen Landrum, and David Bunch. Something interesting about these guys, I looked multiple sites on the internet, and I could find no other games that these three guys worked on. Now, I, I, it seems to, now stop me if I'm wrong, because I know you did a lot of research for this, but I believe those guys all came over, at least some of them came from Epics. They might have. Because I know some of the guys that worked on this originally also worked on the, the game series okay. for Epic. Well, that so. certainly makes sense with this style of game, but yeah. you know how normally when you look on Lemon64 and Moby Games, the all of the coders and things are hyperlinked, so you yeah. can see what else they've done. Well, I clicked on these guys' names and nothing else That's was strange. coming up. So. But yeah, I, I know at least a couple of these guys worked <clears> for Epics on the games, and it does come through, I think, on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the music was by uh, Rob Hubbard, and uh, he is uh, storied in his... He's, he's done many, many, many times titles for the C64. Uh, two that I chose to pick out were Action Biker. If you've ever played Action Biker, you've heard his tune over and over I've and over tune, again. I've heard the tune, but I've not played it. I have heard that tune. And also he did the music for International Karate. Yes. So um, so yeah, Rob Hubbard, a giant in the C64 scene. Yeah, he's scene. much ballyhooed. He's a very popular artist. And yeah. it's a, the, the tunes in this are really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what is this game? This is a um, skateboard um simulation that is very it borrows heavily from like you said the epics games series um, you uh, up to eight players can compete in either one event or all eight events um, 
and you start out, but the thing that makes this game really cool is that instead of just starting out like the game series often does, where you just have uh, a static screen with text on it and you choose your event that way, this game starts you off in a skate shop, okay? And you see this, this crazy looking middle-aged dude with a purple uh, mohawk uh, yakking at you. And uh, you can choose uh, a bunch of different options. This is kind of an interactive menu. You've got a cursor, which is a weird thing to have on the C64. <laughs> uh, and you actually move the joystick around with the cursor. And uh, you, can, you can look at different things inside this skate shop. For example, when you hover over the posters, uh, Rodney says, yeah, maybe one day you'll be on a poster and there's a there's a pugil stick up at the top that he says you use in the joust uh, there's also instead of just having a thing that says register there's actually a sign-in sheet you know and you you click on that and you sign in and that's how you that's how you compete um, and so it's it's something that they didn't have to do and it's something that makes this game sort of go above and beyond the epic games you could tell that they were trying to push the genre forward and it's it's really really cool um, one thing that you can do in the C64 version that you cannot do in the NES version, and I'm going to be referencing the NES version several times over the course of this because this is that's the version I grew up playing. Mm -hmm. You can actually change your board color yeah. in this game. Uh, in the NES version, uh, I don't believe you can, or if you could, I never did it. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of neat. Um, the bad thing about the skate shop, and this is probably my number one gripe with this game, uh, I believe the best music in Skate or Die is the Skate Shop music. However, the Skate Shop music was not composed by Rob Hubbard at all. It was composed by some guy in Japan working for, for Konami. Because uh, this game was uh, published by Konami and for the NES. Actually, it was published by Ultra, which was a subsidiary of Konami. Um, but it's got this awesome shuffle. And there's none of that. There's no music in the Skate Shop in the C64 version. I see. So in that case, that's, that's one area where the NES outshines. Right, mean. right. Um, but anyway, once you you leave the skate shop uh, um, you can either choose to compete or practice but regardless you get presented with this overhead map of these destinations this reminds me a lot of 720 how you actually have to yes. skate to the different events um, this is the world in skater die is not nearly as big as the world in 720 it's not a place where there's other things to do uh, you can't do tricks for money and things like that but what you can do is you can go to all six events five events one, two, three, four, five, five events, um, and um, and so it, it's just a, it's just a neat thing. Um, it reminded me of uh, uh, what was that game we played on the Amiga Bushido? Right. It's I'm gonna, uh, and I think that was an EA title as well. I'd have to wonder if there was some uh, if there was some crossover there. Yeah. Anytime that you can avoid just um, select your event with the cursor, it's a it's a good yeah, thing. I liked it. I thought it was that was a good addition from the from the game series. Yeah. Really cool. Now, aside from uh, Rodney and the player character, uh, there are several other. people people that are in this game to greater or lesser extents. Um, you have, um, of course, you have Rodney Recluse, who is the, or perhaps Recluse, spelled cool guy style. Uh, he's the owner of the skate shop. Then you've got Poser Pete, and Poser Pete is sort of the, your opponent uh, in the joust if you are a, a novice player. Then you've got Agro Eddie who is the intermediate guy. And then finally, Bionic Lester, who is Rodney's son. And he's your opponent in both the advanced form of the joust and the downhill jam. And unbeatable. Yeah, <laughs> he's very difficult. Yeah. All right, so there's the characters, there's the setting. Let's talk about the meat of the game, the events. All right. Okay. So the first event is the freestyle. Okay. Uh, this is probably my... Well, I, I won't. Uh, it's probably my favorite event in the game. Uh, it's a half pipe. Uh, it's a it's a rather large half pipe, it seems. Um, and uh, what you do is you get ten passes. You go back and forth, and you do tricks. Um, there is a high jump. The high jump you have to 360 on the joystick to uh, to get higher and higher. Brutal. Um, there is the race. Uh, it's a downhill cross country race. Uh, you've got the jam, which is like uh, it's it's a two person race that involves combat, sort of like road rash or something <laughs> like that. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally, you have the joust, and the joust takes place in a uh, drained swimming pool, and uh, you basically you you face off against an opponent with pugil sticks, like they use in the army or American gladiators, and uh, it's your job to um, either avoid getting knocked off your board or to knock the other person off his board. Yeah, I guess that. As I recall, the every I guess every 
three passes, the stick goes from one guy to the other. Right, other. right. So I thought that uh, I'd talk a little bit about each one of these events a little bit more in depth. Mm -hmm. So the freestyle, um, there are a bunch of different tricks that you can do. This, in my opinion, there there's a couple games that have a half pipe section. For example, I know that California Games has a half pipe, mm -hmm. and I know there's at least one other game out there um, that, that has a half pipe as part of a mini game collection. This is the only one of those games that I can manage to do anything in. Um, I think that the, however they set this up to make a control, it's immediately apparent what you have to do. To gain speed, you hit your button when you go into the more shaded sections of the ramp. You fly up in the air, you push a stick one way or the other way, you start to spin, you move up or down. Um, it's easy to grab your, your board and go along the lip of it. You can do um, a hand plant where you go up in the air. There are several different spinning tricks that you can do. Um, and I was able to do almost everything. I think that I could do every single trick pretty much on command, which is a rare feat. In California games, I never really even managed to know what I was doing ever, you know, and I've played that many, many times. In California games, this is what, it's almost like they said, okay, we did this in California games, now we're going to really do it. Right. Because this is more like a proper game, in my opinion. And once you figure out how to gain speed, which it took me a while to I had played this game years and years ago on the NES, but I hadn't played it for a long time. And so for a while, I just lumbered around, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember now. And and, and it's neat to uh, be able to do a lot of tricks. Mm -hmm. And something I thought was real neat is or wacky is that, you know, when you are when you sort of change directions as you spin down on the, ba on the base of that thing, it, your guy really cuts an angle oh, sometimes. Yeah. And it, it's, it's very visually wacky. Mm -hmm. And also, of course, many times I, my guy would fly off the side and be disrobed <laughs> like right. Charlie Brown. Exactly. I actually have that in my notes right here. <laughs> Lose clothes, Charlie Brown style. So, um, But yeah, this could have been a, 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 a lot of PC games from back in this year, a lot of this could have been just, this probably could have been a game. Right, right. You know, not, and just by itself. It was pretty good. Um, and uh, one one difference between this and the NES version is, in this game, you have, you are only allowed to gain speed when you're in those shaded sections of the ramp. In the NES version, if you mash the button, you're going to be gaining speed the whole time. Oh, so it's actually, it's a little <laughs> bit easier to get, to really get some good air in the NES version. Um, but anyway, very solid uh, event, the freestyle. Mm. Um, Next is the high jump. This is the weak one in the pack for me. Um, th in this, you're, you're basically, I think you get three passes, um, you rotate the joystick, and the more, the faster you rotate the joystick, the higher you go. When you feel like you've done the best that you can, you hit the button and you, you go back up on the other side, you get off, that's the end of the event. And you're just basically trying to get how high can you go from one pass on the half pipe. I, it's funny, I was not a super fan of this event, but of all the events, I probably did better at this one than I did the other ones, because I, I had the Wicco, and uh, that thing's perfect. It's the size, the signature is perfect for me to mm -hmm. spin that sucker. Oh, yeah. And like my brother, just go to work. I mean, <laughs> I, know I can hear the... I could hear that thing mashing up inside. Uh, this is not. This is much like the Cathlon, so just the joystick destroyer. Right. But right. I had I had pretty good luck. I think you'd edge your board up there, hit the button at the right time, kind of get a little bit higher. So now, kinda cool. I the, almost jump off the screen, which I thought was cool. This is one game where the C sixty four version is miles ahead of the NES version for really? two reasons. One, um, the in the NES version, you have to tap a button, and I was never able to actually do anything like my button mashing skills are not the best but they're not the worst and i you, the only way i could ever get anywhere is to take out my nes max or my nes advantage and push down that rapid fire button so and, you and have hit that it. you have to just you have to hit it like a uh, track and field no style it, yeah, i think it, i think it's just one button that would be yeah tough, yeah you know? and so and the bad thing is is that in the nes version once you lose your momentum you just settle to the bottom and there's no way to get out <laughs> and so you have to physically reset the console oh, to, to get out of that. So that's no good. I mean, but yeah, this is probably the least imaginative. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you what is cool about this, and also puts it ahead of the NAS version, is that when you crash in this, did you ever crash in this? No, I don't think so. Your body physically disintegrates on the thing. It, <laughs> <laughs> it just no. blah, it just splats you out. The NES version doesn't do that. It's very graphic. Um, so uh, that is the high jump. Uh, the race is probably my, 
second favorite. I really like the race. Um, it is a sort of a cross-country race where you're going across all kinds of different terrain. You go over grass, you go over gravel, um, and there's multiple paths that you can take as you race down this thing. And there's there's ramps you can jump over water and things like that. There's secret. There's a secret path through a pipe you can take if you yeah. duck down. Um, it's really, really cool. And in all of the downhill events, you can choose between what they call regular foot and goofy foot. Mm -hmm. And uh, regular foot is where the controls are basically down, moves you down, and up moves you up, and Goofy Foot is reversed. Now, it's possible that that might be opposite. One does one and one does the goofy, other. Goofy, I use Goofy, and it's sort of, it, right is your is your skater's right, and left is your skater's left. Okay. That way it was easier for me to use Goofy to do it. I will say that the, the race that was my favorite event, mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, don't get me wrong, the half pipe is pretty good, but the race was fun. The course was interesting. And there would be places I would go by, and I'd be like, "Hey, can you get? Can you go up that? Is that?" You know, I like. There's one point where you come down the path, and there's a, there's a ramp that goes up to this like building, and I, I didn't even know that was even part of the of the that you could go up. Yeah, there, yeah. You know, and I was like, "Oh, that's cool." Uh, you know, I you know you. I'm not great at it, but I thought it was the most interesting of, of right. the events. And here's the thing that makes both the race and the jam interesting, is that it, they are not just pure races who can get to the end of the fastest. You also can get points for doing various tricks. So you have to kind of weigh against yourself, is it worth it to go a little bit slower and rack up some more points doing some tricks going through the pipe and stuff like that? Or do I want to just use blind speed and try and get my highest score that way? Yeah, because you can sort of angle your way through the course without taking a lot of chances. Like you don't have to go off the ramp. You don't mm -hmm. have to go over the like the con you don't have to go to the construction signs and and or through the pipes and all that stuff. But yeah, you're, it's and not to mention it's just a lot more fun. Yeah. just going down that lame style is it's lame. It's no good. Yeah. Um, next up, we have another downhill event called the Jam. And this is probably the uh, the, the I hated this event. The, I'm not gonna lie. This is probably the the weakest one in yes. the game. I think um, it's it's a neat concept where it's another downhill race and you're racing against an opponent and you're going through um, a more urban environment. I think the downhill race is more kind of in the country, more like a park. This is more of a, a you're in the middle of the city uh -huh. and uh, you've got you've got to negotiate yourself through uh, you know different gaps and fences. Uh, there's one point where you can go through somebody's yard and go under their clothesline uh, and you're uh, you get points for crushing bottles uh, crushing cans with your board which is a weird thing to be able to do with a skateboard sounds like it would just kill you instantly <laughs> yeah. if you hit that, if you did this you get a little rock and knock you right off those right um, and you are up against an opponent uh, Lester is your opponent, and uh, you also are tasked with trying to knock him off his board for points, and at the same time, he's trying to knock you off your board. He's better. He is. He I would is. wager this would be more fun with uh, extra another human. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't get a chance to play with another person, but Lester, he's just too tough. Mm -hmm. He's really tough. But again, this is a game where you're you're always competing for score. So if you take if you take your time a little bit, go through, mash some extra cans, uh, take some hidden areas. You can you don't have to necessarily win the race to come out ahead in the points. Mm, yes. Yeah. I, thought, I mean, this was okay. It was okay. It was not my favorite. Right. Because I was frustrated a lot. Right. The course is tough too. It's real tough. It's not like the other course. I mean. You get caught on a fence or something. It's it. Well, the the good thing is that the game will automatically like it's impossible to come too far behind right. because it's not a split screen deal. So the game will catch you up, but it docks your time. Yeah, you know, and you and, need caught up. I mean, uh, gosh, I don't know what would happen. <laughs> you never. <laughs> yeah, it would just be over. You should yeah. just skate back home. Um, and finally, you've got the joust, and this is a very simple exercise. Um, you're basically on opposite sides of a swimming pool, if you can imagine, swooping down to each other, and the, the key on the the defense is to kind of time the time where you start your descent with the time that the other person is far away from you, so you're able to sort of skate on opposite ends of the pool the whole time. This is another one probably be more fun with two people. Absolutely. Uh, um, you know, I have a vague memory of playing this with my brother, so we must have played it somewhere. It must have been on his NES back in the day. Uh, but again, this is okay, and this one I had at least a decent chance against the computer. But it was still tough. Yeah, you know? I, and I'm sure after a lot more practice, I get better at it. But it was just, the, the, I, I like that's clever. Mm -hmm. You know, I, what was the skating movie that was out in the '80s? Was it Thrashing or Thrasher? That's I believe, uh, Thrashing. I think, a, there has to be an apostrophe. In um, there. I believe that this was 
there was something like this in the movie. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen this movie for a long time, but I vaguely They had to have gotten that. that idea from somewhere. I don't know. And definitely not real life, because there's no way that that... <laughs> People do first of all, in those pools. First, they do do that. Yeah, but first of all, like, do you see the size of that pool? It's the size of that pool, pool is like... A, <laughs> it's, like it's like a football field. Um, I don't know how, you know... I don't know. If you're a skater out there and you you use real pugil sticks in a swimming pool, let me know how that went because I, I, I'm curious. I would like to see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so this game reviewed very well. Um, I found three reviews from uh, magazines from back in the day. Um, uh, ASM gave it an, uh, an, an 8 out of 12. I'm not sure if that's well, accurate that, or not. That's a weird, <laughs> yeah. a weird score system they got there. Uh, Power Play and, uh, and their issue gave it a 70, and Zap64 gave it a 92. So it, it, it reviewed pretty well, undoubtedly, because it's, it is one of the classics on the machine. Um, this game had uh, some sequels. Okay, uh, it was followed a couple of years later by a wintertime se- uh, game called Ski or Die. Now, did you ever play that one? I know, I, I know it's out on the Amiga, and I do recall trying it out, and I don't remember liking it very this much. This game is garbage. It's no good. <laughs> um, the, 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 it, <laughs> okay. The, it, it doesn't have any of the charm of the the original one. The events are uh, mostly unplayable. It's it's unfair to say it's garbage. It's at the it's at the level of one of the games games. Like I think that by and large the events in this in this game control better than the events in the games games. This this sort of takes a step back and it's almost, it's it's sort of like winter games but without all the fun cuz there's aside from skiing and snowboarding you can't really do a whole lot of other things. And the slalom game in Ski or Die is not as good as Slalom for the NES which mm-hmm. came out like 6 years before it. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's no good. Okay. Uh, now this next game Oh, and Ski or Die had a multi-platform release. As you said, it was even out on the Amiga. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1990, Skate or Die 2 was released for the NES only. It was an NES exclusive. Hmm. Okay, now did you ever play this one? Uh, you know, I knew I seemed like I knew there was it existed, but I don't think I ever played it. I don't recall. So they took a different tack with this one. Uh, this, the, the, it's a game with two. It's sort of two games in one. Uh, the the first one is oh the the total name of this uh, game is called Skate or Die 2. Double Trouble or something like that. The Search for Double Trouble. It's a weird, a weird title. Yeah, that, that um, no good. Yeah, I, I don't know why I didn't copy it, the whole thing in there, but it's it's got a colon and extra words. Um, the first <laughs> mode is a side-scrolling adventure game, and um, it is it's it's sort of. It always kind of reminded me of Bart versus the Space Mutants because you had to like skate on different things to make different things happen, kind of like how you're spray painting different things with Bart versus the Space Mutants. Yeah. It didn't control very well. Um, I found it very hard and not what I was expecting. Yeah. However, the second part of the game, and I think they, they, this is where the double trouble comes in, it is a dual screen half pipe. So the half pipe actually scrolls as you're skating across it. So if you can picture the half pipe in Skater Die stretched out over the course of two screens with a little pyramid ramp in the middle of it, like something that you might see on Excite Bike, uh, that is the second part of the game. That's that, really weird. Yeah, and that part of the game's really good. Has um, a pipe like that ever been made with a ramp in the middle? That's a great question. You, I have no that idea. That seems ultra dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. What but if you, you fall off the top and hit the middle of that peak? You're going to get mauled. Well, I mean, it's so far away, there's no way you could do that. But I guess what you could do is, is you're skating down, you hit that ramp in the middle, and it takes you almost to the end of that one. You like you slam into the wall. You can do that on the game, and it's really cool. So that part of the game is great. Uh, the adventure part, I'm not a fan. Um, what an odd concept. It seems like this is such a cut and dry concept. More events in the same genre, in the same vein as this, and then you're good to go. If they would have put out a just a, a graphically updated version with different courses of this game for the 16-bit systems, it would have sold like crazy. Yeah, you'd think. Yeah. Um, this game also had a couple of other sequels which I had no idea existed. Okay. This game had two Game Boy exclusives. Hmm. So, of course, the Game Boy was a hot property in 1990. Mm-hmm. And um, we had uh, Skate or Die, Bad and Rad. <laughs> Man, these names are yeah. horrible. And uh, that was just a platformer, just like the, the adventure mode, but even more of a platformer. Almost like, do you remember, have you played Adventure Island before? Yes. You know, when you get the skateboard? Yes. It's that sort of a deal. Okay. okay? Uh, and then you also have Skate or Die Tour de Thrash. 
Um, for <laughs> that also sucks. God. <laughs> and this was um, this was another. This was exactly like Skater Die Two, where you have um, the uh, the half pipe mode. Oh no, I'm sorry. This is not like that at all. Forget that. Retro Rocket Ramp is the first part of this, and this is the almost identical to the half pipe mode in Skater Die Two. Okay. Okay. So you've got the the good the part of Skater Die Two. Yeah. And then the second mode, get this, is called the Stale Fish Tour. Okay. Okay. And this is like a world championship event where you go to events all over the world, and you have this these very long half pipe sections. So it's kind of similar to you know the bonus stage in Sonic Two. Yeah. Uh, the, where you're in that half pipe and you're collecting things and you're avoiding obstacles. Yes. It's basically like going all over the world competing in that. Okay. That. Hmm. So very weird. Um, <laughs> and what, these are these are on the game. These were both Game Boy exclusives. Okay. So hmm. uh, I never knew those existed. Kind of crazy. That is that is bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, on eBay, uh, the this is actually a. I was expecting this game to be a high dollar game. Well, yeah, because it's in the classic right. uh, album style folding cover. Right. right, and coming off a of mule where that game regularly sells for over a hundred bucks, mm -hmm. you could get this uh, one recently sold uh, complete in the the forty five sleeve for thirty five dollars. Really? Yeah, that so is surprising. Very reasonable. Um, and I looked up the NES version just because uh, there was a sealed version of that that sold for one hundred and ten bucks. So. Not not cheap, but not crazy crazy expensive for a sealed game. You know, I just doing, I was just looking a few things up on this before before the show, uh, that, and there were two things I didn't I didn't realize. Well, one thing I realized the uh, if you look closely at uh, Rodney, and I don't think you mentioned he he's he looks like Rodney Dangerfield. Right, I didn't Mohawk. mention that. You're right, and it's I, no I, respect. So stupid, and he, <laughs> clearly he was a marine because he's got a marine tattoo. And the other thing I read is that uh, Skater Die was the very first in-house um, game that EA ever did. The very first EA-produced game that they produced and distributed. Really? Yeah. Because uh, they'd been at it for forever by right, that they point. Didn't, they, didn't, they didn't make their own stuff. This was mm -hmm. the very first one. And, of course, now that, of course they brought in guys from Epics, but... Uh, 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 they, uh, I don't know how many exactly of the of the guys that worked in this war from Epics, but they at least one. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, this was their, so that's kind of neat <laughs> that this was their very first title that they produced. Now they produce a zillion tons of titles. Yeah. But overall, I thought it was uh, it, it aged well. Look, you know, the the Commodore sixty four version it looks good. It plays good. It, uh, this it, it, I I can't think of too many games that look and play this well on the system on the C sixty four. I mean, smooth. it it runs so smooth and so fast, and it's so colorful. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and, and which sometimes the C sixty four that's sort of the knock on it. Mm -hmm. The Atari was the the Atari eight bits are sort of the colorful machines, mm -hmm. and these were sort of the this quite had the sprites and whatnot, but I mean, it, it, it was nice. They did a good job, and the, of course, the graphics just a lot of attention to detail. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so anyway, just to wrap up, I love this game because it sums up sort of the the '80s, uh, you know, with the fashion and the attitude and the skateboarding culture. It's just a nice throwback to uh, to, to that time, and the music is fantastic. Let me ask. Here's the big question you didn't answer: What's which do you like more, this or that CNC surf design game? Oh, just so, wait till we do. Just wait till we do the any. Yes, that's going to be my first. Do you have, do you have first. a preference of the two? I probably, I probably like TNC Surf Designs more. There it is. TNC is, is there it is. It's it's the it's it's one of my favorite games on the system, um, but this is <laughs> this is a very solid title, and this is definitely more fun to play with two players. Mm. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. All right, Aaron, it's time to move on to your title of the week, oh, Forbidden boy. Forest. So, Forbidden Forest is a. Uh, I've heard a lot about this title, but it's the first time I've ever to sit down and, and mess with it. So, uh, this came out on the C64 in 83, and it was published by an outfit called, uh, or called Cosme. Uh, not Cosmic, as I no, thought it was a typo. Cosme, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were a California-based uh, outfit, and they've been around for a long time. Uh, they were out. They were around their their beginning of the company sort of sketch, but they were out sometime before '82. And as of 2016, they were still active in the budget area of PC releases. Now I don't know. I couldn't find anything of in the past two years. But they actually had a they they bought another company in 2016, which that's incredible. Think about it. That's a long run. Mm -hmm. So to talk about this game, you really first got to get into the guy that made it. And the guy's name was Paul Norman. All right, now 
Uh, Paul Norman is a pretty big name on the C64, but his story is just unbelievably bizarre. Um, so, Paul was a is a musician, and he did he did he was in bands and played clubs and stuff in the in the seventies. And these are his own words. So in the eighties, in the early eighties and late seventies, uh, disco sort of dried up a lot of his work. A lot of these places became disco clubs and whatnot. So. He was in a music shop one day and they had a Vic 20 for sale and he bought one. What a weird place to buy a Vic 20. Yeah. <laughs> and he bought one, took it home, and he taught himself how to use basic programming. And so he learned basic and he made uh, he made some some various basic games that he thought were, were pretty good games. And so he found a uh, an ad in the paper, and this is a sign of the times, that uh, a place was looking for a... Uh, a, pro- a game programmer, all right? So this is like an one ad, <laughs> wanted game programmer, right? So um, he went 30 miles, he rented a car, he took his basic programs in, they looked at them, they liked them. They said, hey, these are pretty good. Uh, and they, they were, he said, this is according to him, they ran so quickly, they, they assumed he knew how to program a machine language. He's oh, like, you know how to really? program a machine language? Paul was like, of course. Huh. They're like, you're hired, all right? So... He, he went to work for them. And so he worked there for about three months with a couple other guys. And according to him, there were two uh, aerospace engineers that worked there. Wow. <laughs> you can imagine That's that. crazy. They were programming these games. <laughs> and then one day he was there by himself. And uh, some people came in and started taking out the furniture. Because like, <laughs> the place he worked was like, 12 by, like a 12 by 12 uh, beige room, basically. Mm-hmm. That's where he worked. That was the headquarters of this, of this uh, outfit. And they came in, and they, they and he's like, "What's going on?" He's like, "Oh, we, you know, we're buying all this furniture. This company's out of business." Wow. And by this time, he, I think he said, he was he was, uh, you know, halfway through making the game. And so he goes, and so they saw him there working because he, and and they were like, you know, they saw they saw what he was doing, and they they said that looks pretty good. Let's talk. Because the people, ironically, amazingly, the people buying this furniture were another video game maker. Okay, <laughs> we want you. this furniture, man. It it's was, got the good juju. It was you know, <laughs> they were the ones that saw him, right? Wow. So, uh, they took and looked at his uh, stuff, and they ca- they said, "Listen, we like your stuff. We're to call you back, and you can come work for us." And so. They, they effectively, when they bought the furniture, they they bought Paul Norman. They bought he everything. Right with it, right? So, um, so he went to work for Cosme. Now Cosme didn't have a headquarters. Uh, they, I don't know what they were doing with the furniture. They, <laughs> That's they, the real question. Where did the furniture end up? It was an outfit. Now they had again. They had been around for a, a, a good while, and they put out a bunch of games. Um, just to name off some of their, and trust me when I tell you this, they put out a lot of absolute budget junkaroo. All right, but excuse me, they put out some good stuff, including um, and some of these you've heard of. They put out the Slinky, which is a pretty big title. Mm-hmm. And this is for yeah. Jagged Alliance Two, which I'd heard of that one. Jagged Alliance, yeah. Um, mm. Super Huey One and Two, which and a lot some of these Paul Norman did. Navy Seal was Paul Norman. Aztec Challenge that was Paul Norman. So he could tell a lot of their big hits were his. They did Richard Petty's Talladega. I don't know how that one got in there. <laughs> So they had some hits, but uh, so they put him to work, and he worked. He just worked from his house because what he'd been doing was renting a car and driving back and forth to his job every day. They were just like, "Go home here," and they, 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 you know, "Go home, take take the C sixty four that they gave you, go home and finish your game." And so he went home and finished the game after he negotiated with these guys. And so getting back to him making the game is even more wacky because he goes home originally to make this game and he doesn't know how to program in machine language and i, I did a little basic I, everyone's done a little there's a giant leap between the giant two. doesn't even describe it I so mean. he learned how to program while making forbidden forest wow. this was literally his exercise and it's the first game he it's the first piece of software he ever made in programming was it's forbidden forest. it's unbelievable I know. did you ever heard any of this no. before so <clears throat> He, and he presented this to the guys, and they said when, the guy that owns Cosme was this guy. He he had a big, uh, he was a big player, and this was just he had a bunch of money making. So they went to his house and they were demoing this, and they said when they first showed the the multiple multiple planar mm-hmm. screens, as people literally audibly gasped, yeah. they could not believe what they were seeing, and so he knew he was in business. So with all that background, let's talk about the actual game. 
So Forbidden Forest is a game where you are an archer and you're in a forbidden forest. Effectively, a, a forest full of nasty stuff. Um, you are uh, uh, armed with, a, like I said, bow and arrow. You start with four quivers of arrows and you can sort of free roam in a circular way, basically, you, whatever goes off stream comes back around. Yeah, it loops around. Right, and and you have free roam through the forest. Mm -hmm. You know, so the uh, and every level stuff attacks you. Okay, so in the first level, <clears throat> you're standing there, and this is sort of jarring if you don't know what you're playing. The first level, you're standing there, all of a sudden these spiders, spider, these giant spiders, yeah. and the way you you actually have full rotational, you got about a hundred eighty degree aim with the bow and arrow, right? I mean, probably not quite that, but close. Pretty close. Right? And what the first thing I learned, notch an arrow. Mm -hmm. Because I hit the button, he began to notch an arrow, it was a spider. <laughs> and then a spider ate your face. Absolutely. Yeah. And you'll notice right away when the spider gets you that you bleed. Oh yeah, and it's not a short death either. No, it's a long, the, agonizing... dance of death, basically. <laughs> in fact, this is the dance of this Archie ever saw. I'll get that in a minute. So... To, so you have to notch an arrow, and then you have to aim your bow, mm -hmm. and then you and you fire it at the, at the monster. In this case, the first monster is the spiders, and you and you shoot them. And when you shoot these spiders, they don't just disappear. I mean, they literally blood comes mm -hmm. out of them. Mm -hmm. One thing that about this game, it's an early example of gore. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of that game we did on the Amiga, Moonstone. Moonstone. Mm -hmm. It's just like the prequel to Moonstone yeah. in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So. Once you, and we should mention that when the level starts and when the and it gets going, the music starts ramping up. Yep. The music and it's also by Paul Norman. He did everything. Is off the charts. It is good. so good. It's so some good. of the best music mm -hmm. you're ever going to hear on the C64. Just loved it. And I mean, I'd heard people talk about it. Oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, this music was so good. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, this is a. When I first started playing this, I didn't have the sound on. I was listening to oh, something else. Oh, no, yeah. And I saw this guy. I saw my archer, and he was grooving. <laughs> and I was like, man, what's he listening to? So I turn on the music, and I start dancing, That's too. Right, it's great. Man. So so once you dispatch this, the spider, <clears throat> and you, this, I think you take out a couple of them, you hear the song really ramp up, doom, 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 better, da, 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 and your archer just starts going to work. Yeah. <laughs> and Paul Norman said what he was doing there is he, he was... He, had, he was displaying every type of graphic that the archer can do. Oh, okay. So all those little movements, all that crazy dance, and that's everything the archer, every possible look for the archer. I do that same thing when I dance. I just think about every possible motion I could make. Have you seen you dance? I believe you. <laughs> and so the funny thing about this game, and I mean, this game is the... After I tell you this is the first game he did, you can understand that because there are some things that are they're so goofy that a first-time program would do this and not think much about it. When you get killed, the spot in most games you get killed, it's like, you right. to disappear. And we've mentioned he does the dance. He does a, a good 10-second dance. Mm -hmm. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> and, he, you know, as this thing is, he's bleeding out, all right? <laughs> and then and then uh, instantly you're just back in the game. Yeah. It's like that. You're like, holy crap. And then when he wins a level, he doesn't just, he doesn't just go to the next level. Nothing changes, right? Mm -hmm. Except here he goes. He starts going to work, mm -hmm. dancing. He dances for about 15 <laughs> seconds yeah. before the level changes to wherever the next monster is. Uh, the next monster in this case are bees. Now, the bees level is one where the music sort of superseded by the actual sound of the bees, and it's mm -hmm. awesome. It, yeah. it sounds just like a buzzing bee. Right, a giant bee. Something else this world has. <clears throat> if you look at this world, I mean, there's one world to describe it. It's blocky. Mm -hmm. It's a big, weird... The graphics in it, if you looked at a screenshot, you'd be like, what is this crap? But if you see it in action, it, it actually it works in yeah. a weird way. It's very similar to something like Minecraft, where it's very plain, but it, it, when you're in the world, it really is sort of immersive. Yeah, and when, it, when, the, when you see that kind of multiple planes scrolling, mm -hmm. it, it's quite amazing, really. Yeah. But in the second level, these bees will come out, and the world has depth. You can't, for those on the package, you can't see me using my hand to, to show death. But they, they come out and they get bigger. Right, you know? there's there's sprite scaling on a console or on a computer that could not do sprite scaling. Now, well, I mean, it ain't, this is not, a, you know, Nintendo level. But, but I mean, they kind of, they kind of... That's, the effect is what they're, the, it's the effect right. of sprite scaling. And then there are, there if you if you practice, you can practice kind of aiming your bow to to kind of 
get this. Yeah, you depth can get a in. you can get a beat on it. Right, and it it works mm-hmm. in a weird way. It works. Yeah. And so the bees are. I thought the bees were kind of tough. They weren't the toughest. They were kind of tough. And when you get stung with a bee, again, death. You get the blood and the death. And when you knock the bees off the sky, they just kind of you know hit the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have to describe this stuff because it's like dragons layer. Sometimes the deaths are so funny. They've, they've got to be mentioned. So. <clears throat> The next level are these giant frogs. The giant frogs, uh, it gets dark. We should mention that the, the, as you play this game, it, day becomes night. And right. Night becomes and that's one of the things that, that happens when he's dancing, is that's where yeah. the day-night cycle occurs. And there's also a big sort of skull-faced moon, mm-hmm. that, and it comes across the horizon, which is, again, these are things that are just there that just add to the ambiance. Mm-hmm. So the frogs... You shoot these things, but even if you shoot them, they still, if they're in your way, they'll just come down. And when they come down on you, they just smash you. <laughs> you just, it's just, the end, the right? There. There's stops. no dance. <laughs> the, 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 yeah, there's no dance for that one. You just are mush. <laughs> so if you knock a couple of these frogs out, and the best thing to do on that level, as far as I went, was just to try to move out of their way. And just as soon as you get a spare moment, notch an arrow and try to knock, just randomly shoot a couple, you might get lucky. Mm. So <clears throat> after that, you've got the, uh, the dragon. Now, it's funny, I was watching your playthrough on this, and I was like, man, how lucky did you... You got so lucky on some of these kills. I was I like, get So, the dragon comes from way off in the distance. You mm-hmm. can see him. You know, it takes a little while for him to show up, too. Some of this stuff, a lot of them doesn't show up right away. Mm-hmm. There's times where you're looking through the woods, like, scared to death. Like, yeah, well, it's happening? almost like a survival horror it game. Is, it is. And then here comes the dragon flying in from the distance. Mm-hmm. And he'll come in and he'll fry you. Yeah. And y- your guy's on fire dancing. <laughs> oh, God. He's on, you know, which the dance is more legitimate right there. I mean, he, he's on fire. You know, and, but if you, if you kill the dragon, it's so awesome. The dragon flies out of the sky like he falls down like a, like a cement block mm-hmm. and just burns. <laughs> You're like, yes. <laughs> and then the happy dance goes So, and I, I'm, I'm very satisfied. Now, the next level is. I mean, I died so much. I had put infinite lives on because I could not get past this. Admittedly, I couldn't get past it. It was the stupid. It's the skeleton mm-hmm. and phantom. And the phantom. Yep. Or some people call it the wizard. So on this level, the, the skeleton men sort of diagonally come at you with these spears. And it's sort of like the spiders, except they've got longer range and they're quicker. They're fast. Yeah. And you can shoot them. And it's great. You feel like a million bucks, but the problem is the level don't end mm-hmm. because off in the distance there's this like specter, almost like a grim reaper, mm-hmm. hovering around and, uh, and like overneath the way they've got the level set. It's sort of he's behind one of the planes and in front of another one. It's 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 a cool effect. And so what you've got to do is, and when he appears, you've got to nail him with an arrow while avoiding the skeleton. Right. The skeleton is immaterial. You do not have to defeat the skeleton. Yeah, but the skeletons are. I got killed by those things a million. Mm-hmm. I just about said, heck with this. I was just like, man, I can't get past these guys. And I'm sure there's a trick to it that I don't know. Well, you know, I, I think that a lot of this game is luck. You know, the, you know, I would play through this. I played through the whole game two or three times. And um, and sometimes I would have no trouble. But there would be other times where, like, I'd get stuck on the spider stage and I'd be there forever. So. Yeah, that, 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 that can be tough. But this level is the one that really got me. That much said, I can't tell you how how creepy it is when you finally shoot this guy he makes this noise that i (laughs) it is the creepiest tone it's just one long tone and it is so creepy this guy you see him in the background sort of fizzling as the tone goes i've been the last 30 seconds it's like a, a scream or something it is creepy i thought that was i, I just i got chills. you know what it reminded me of is the banshee and darby o'gill and the little people well it there was a banshee like scream i mean it was I think that was the creepiest thing until the end of the game. But that was that was another thing. Again, brilliant. Mm-hmm. It was brilliant. If you'd said, yeah, there's, at this point, I just want a long tone because for 30 seconds. I'm like, you're nuts. And all oh, you're going to dance while this is going on. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, man, it is creepy, and that thing fizzles out. So, I, I mean, that's great. Mm-hmm. So then you've got um, the, uh, the snake. Now, the snake is another very clever effect done by Paul where the, you don't see the snake right away. But then the snake's head comes, and his upper, the upper part of the snake mm-hmm. comes up, and he's behind that first level of vegetation, mm-hmm. and he strikes. Right. And what he does is he spits, like, venom at you, and when it hits you, the guy just melts. <laughs> just melts to the ground. There's no dancing. He's just gone. <laughs> and it's, it's an awesome effect, and it, it looks cool. The sound of the venom is cool. It's just cool. And the snake looks awesome. And when you kill the snake... 
it, the head just kind of flops over, and then just a gush of blood just mm-hmm. comes out of the snake. It's, mm-hmm. in a, in a, it's delightfully it's, violent. It is very graphic for a C64 title. Yes. I mean, he bleeds a ton. It's really cool. I, I mean, it, and it's a neat effect. And then the king of this game, and I got it's what again, I not knowing how this was going to go the first time I played it, I couldn't believe how many different things there were. Yeah. Like, man, this is like it's like all these different levels. The last guy was, I mean, just freaking awesome. So the game gets quiet and it's really dark, and you see occasional strikes of lightning, right? And you're just wandering around, and then a lightning strike hits, and you catch a glimpse of something mm-hmm. out in the distance. And this something is the Demogorgon, which how, how, very it? famous these days, right? Yeah. I mean, because of because of Stranger Things, but the, this would predates that by a long mm-hmm. And of course, I'm sure he was flipping through a D and D guide or something, right? So the Demigord, I don't, I don't, it's hard to explain what he looks like because I didn't get a real good look at him until the very last look you get. Mm-hmm. But he just, he's just this creepy guy, this entity, and he'll appear like up in a tree or something, or like behind a bush, mm-hmm. and you just barely can see him, and you only see him when there's lightning. And I noticed that there are these stars that will sparkle. Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. And they'll, they'll shimmer in the background. The sky in this part is the darkest. The whole area is as dark as it can be when this happens. And the lightning effect is really creepy. This whole this scene right here is the creepiest in the game. Right, absolutely. Where you see this thing approaching, and you know it's coming. And I, now I, don't, I didn't time this, but I read that you've got like 30 seconds to hit this guy. And you only have a minute time frame to launch that arrow at him, and you have to time it perfectly to get him. I watched your playthrough. You're the luckiest I've ever seen. Just random as heck. It's all skill, baby. But I had a heck of a time getting this guy. But, I mean, and if you don't get him quick enough, he basically comes out, he takes up the whole screen with his face, and you're done. It's over for you. But, I mean, it it is so well done. It's unbelievable. And when you finally kill this guy... Uh, Paul Norman's motto must be there can't be too much of a good thing because these, this guy shoots fireworks off for it's like 30 yeah. seconds of yeah. continuous Well, it's fireworks. the end of the game. I mean, it is. How it many is. games have we played or seen where the end, the, the end, that's it? You yeah. know, at least this gives you something. You're right. I mean, I, it is an epic ending. And of mm. course, the, there's the dance, there's <laughs> the, the music, and then it loops over and you start again. Um, just, uh, I couldn't tell you how impressed I was with this. Uh, uh, it, it, the whole game was a, a tour de force for your the music, the the way they visualize the forest, the darkness, the light, the monsters. I mean, I just like every single part of this. It, it, I'm as surprised. This is about the same feeling I had when we looked at uh, the Moonstone game. This just like came out of nowhere. I mean, I'd heard people talk about this game and the music, uh, but it blew me away uh, with how good it was. Uh, it also has four difficulty levels. I didn't try anything but the easiest one. I don't know how hard the other ones get i would wager that if they if there's a bunch of skeletons on the screen at once or spiders you i don't know how you could possibly survive right. uh that stuff um uh paul mentioned in an interview that he had gotten some of the monsters they were inspired by a film and I don't, i've never heard of any of these maybe you have well i've heard of one i haven't seen it night of the demon you ever seen that uh, jason and the argonauts which i absolutely have seen is and, that one of those uh ray harry housing that's right mm-hmm. that's right and it's it was awful good and then um a Mysterious Island. I may have seen that one too. Um, so uh, there was a sequel to this. I believe, uh, believe it or not, uh, it was released in '95. Norman did it as well, uh, but admittedly, he says um, he it was it was okay. He was proud of some of the stuff. But it was basically you, sort of like you can't go home again. Right. Sort of, sort of yeah. affair. Believe it or not, there was another sequel, Forbidden Forest Three, released for the PC in 2003. I don't know anything about this, mm. and I don't think he had any, anything to do with that one at all. Um, so, uh, this game was pretty popular when it came out. Uh, it got four out of five stars, uh, and was amongst the top favorite games at uh, Zap. Uh, it was a very popular game. Uh, there, I didn't get a lot of uh, I didn't get a lot of stuff, but it got an eighty-two percent. Uh, it was, you know, it's and it's outlived. I mean, it's a classic. It's considered a classic. It makes a lot of lists. Uh, some people can't quite get past the graphics, but I think they need to have another look, frankly, because I, I, yeah. this is one of those games where the graphics don't tell the tale. I had no problem with the graphics at all in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I looked on eBay to see what this was going for, uh, and uh, I found one of these for sale in the U.S. I was surprised. 25 bucks boxed. 
which I almost hit the button. If I hadn't just spent so much money on a furnace, <laughs> I was like, man, oh, I like, and then uh, even more tough for me to resist, someone had an awesome poster. The uh, the the cover for this thing is really cool. It shows a guy getting ready to shoot a monster, and all the monsters are there, and the forest is in the background. It's very, it looks sort of German looking yeah. to me. And I wanted it bad. I almost pulled the trigger on that too. It was, it, there's posters for sale too for it. So. Uh, but overall, it's man. funny, you know, on on the cover of the game, your archer is shirtless, um, but in, in the game, he's very fully clothed, including a jaunty cap. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I kind of thought maybe he had like a beret. Yeah, you yeah. know, that's what I picture it as. But uh, well, yeah, overall, you you were digging it. Loved it. Yeah. Loved this game. It was awesome. I, I I was real pleased with with this one. So that's that. Now, it's a good game, and I recommend it if you haven't played it. I mean, it's worth just watching a video just to experience it. For to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah. All right, Aaron. It's come to the time in the show. Has it not come to the time it's in the time. show? Okay, it's you time. gave me a weird look like there was a segment I forgot. I'm a weird looking guy, Bo. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to lie to you. We're going to pull out the retro wool- roulette wheel. <laughs> We're going to pull out some wallet. <laughs> That's a tough thing to say. I'm going to let you say it from now on. Retro roulette. Yeah, so here we go. Uh, from behind, behind the depths, we have center it just so nice zoom in all right so last week we added uh arcade classics this week we are taking out commodore 64 we have managed to free the c64 thing from its place everything went as as normal (laughs) and this week we are going to add to the wheel chat choice so uh, in case you did not know uh, we film ARG Presents live every week um, on uh, YouTube. And uh, if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, you can uh, click the bell and that will give you a notification of when we are taping. So if Chat Choice comes up in the, uh, on the wheel, then we will do a quick poll in the chat room and they, uh, they will decide which one of these systems we will cover. So, Aaron. Power to the people, boat. There we go. All right, spin, spin the, the wheel. wheel, make the deal. Here we go. Oh, that was a good one this week. All right. Let's see what we get here. And we have. Uh, what minute. do we have? The ColecoVision. ColecoVision. All right. All right. <laughs> so, How is that possible with the wheel? Yeah, well, there's a little play in it, but it, that, was, that, was, that was where it was supposed to be. All right, so next week we will do. Oh, the envelopes. ColecoVision and Aaron is getting the envelopes now. All right, let's decide which games we will play. ColecoVision, there it is, along with the next envelope. And now we will reveal the games. Gosh, I have no idea. Do you? No, it's been too long. Um, This one's yours. I guess I'll choose first this week. Boy, this is a tough choice. I'm going to go with. Smurfs. Oh, Smurfs. okay. Uh, I will choose the arcade classic Ladybug. Ladybug. Okay, mm-hmm. interesting. I have not played that one that much. Yeah, I have not played the Clico version. Clico Vision version. Well said. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure it's going to be fun. I guess that's it then. Uh, tune in next week to see Smurfs and Ladybugs. It's going to be a cute episode. Buddy. Absolutely. I may come in cosplay. You should. Yeah, I think it'll be good. Are you going to be the Smurf or the Ladybug? Maybe I'll be both. Maybe I'll be a Smurf riding a Ladybug. That would be great. So tune in next week to see that (laughs) with that visual in your mind. And until then, adios. Aaron and John making a new podcast. Yeah.